We value the, both the public reading of Scripture, the audible reading of Scripture, and then the exhortation that follows. I am, I'm so grateful that you come every week and you hear the Word of God. God is faithful to that Word. He watches over it. And you may not realize it, but God, God takes the Word that's preached. He does. And He works it down in your spirit, in the essence, almost like a baker needs the dough god's kneading the ingredient of his word into the into your faith and and then it rises and then it produces something of value in your life so never neglect hearing the word of god i'm telling you anytime that you hear a whispering voice telling you, you don't need to go to church you don't need to hear the scriptures you don't hear the word of god it's not the father speaking to you come on somebody that has to be the enemy jesus commended mary because in the midst of a busy season when it was the right thing to do what Martha was doing. Martha was serving. It was the right thing. It was a good thing. But the Bible says Jesus commended Mary because she chose the needful thing. She heard the word of God. So let's pray today that as we read the scriptures, as the Lord speaks to us, he can use me. I pray diligently, and I mean that sincerely. I pray diligently that God can use me to speak a word to your heart and life that can help you uh, in, in either individually or corporately. Sometimes I speak messages that are almost exclusively to your life individually. And sometimes they're applied to the corporate body. Sometimes it's a little bit of both. I've got it written down here. It's, it's borrowing from Ezekiel the prophet's words. It's this right here, the will within the will. You have to find yourself within the larger spectrum, right? So that it doesn't just go over you. Go beyond you. Go to someone else. It's to you and then it's through you. Let's pray. Father, I love you. What a great group of men and women I have the privilege and opportunity to speak to today. I've prepared my heart. I pray their heart is prepared to receive the engrafted word, which James said is able to save our souls. It's in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. You can be seated. I have several passages of Scripture that I'm going to allude to today and allow the Scriptures to just be read and allow the, the Word of God to speak directly to us. It's a teaching slash preaching today. Pastor Brown's giftedness, whatever level of capacity that is, has the ability to both teach and preach. And sometimes, again, it, it demands a little bit of both, and today is one of those uh, such Sundays. I want to take a moment of time to go to look back to the message last week for just a moment of time. And as I do so, let me say this. I want to encourage you to be here tonight. Now, I have never been somebody that has shunned away from sometimes controversial subjects or difficult subjects. Tonight is a little bit more difficult. Not necessarily controversial, but it is a little bit more difficult. And I want to encourage you to come out. You'll be challenged in a good way as a fellowship. And I want to encourage you, it is the addendum to today's message. It's not part three. Today is part two of averting crisis in the contemporary church. So you say, Pastor, that sounds like this, this general uh, you know, message. It is. It's general in sense to, the, to our church family. But our church family, again, is a part of a larger church family, the body of Christ. And you are a part of this church family. So again, you have to listen and find and discern. You have to have a listening ear. I spoke last week about a word to the or a word to the millennials, and I and I was so 
blessed when I saw so many young adults from the age of 19 or 20 to about 35 years of age that stood up and identified in that, uh, that age bracket and how much we appreciate those young adults. Come on, because they've been the target of a secular society to pull them away from traditional faith. And so you're swimming upstream by being here. But I tell you what, God's going to bless you, and he is blessing you. Now, let me go a little bit further, and I want to explain in my introduction just a little bit more. First of all, uh, just using the word avert very quickly. The word avert means to prevent or to ward off an undesirable consequence. So think for a moment of time. I'm saying a crisis could be looming in the American contemporary church. And what I mean by that is the, 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 the church of today, the church that has evolved not only in Pentecostalism but beyond Pentecostalism. And there, there is a looming crisis, but I didn't define for you what that looming crisis, what I believe it is. Now, I know that I am a pastor, but every pastor has a little bit additional giftings within their calling. And I believe that one of my additional giftings is a little bit of a prophetical ministry. And what I mean by that is the, pro the prophet was the watchman on the wall. And he was looking and he was observing and he was, try he was, he was seeing things that happened and, and, and he warned the people. And that's part of what I do as a pastor to you is, is I want to warn us of a looming crisis. And you, and you say, well, pastor, what is that crisis? Is it an economic crisis? Is, is it conflict with Islam? Is it whatever? Let me tell you what I believe that it is. It's, it's as Christians, we lose our ability to influence, impact instruct and evangelize this culture and this generation. That the crisis that could be looming is that a people that's called Christians that has historically had a voice that could alter the consciousness of a nation, that we lose our voice. We become muted. We no longer have the ability to instruct even unregenerate uh, people in a measure of righteousness or righteous living in essence we could become if we're not careful Ichabod Ichabod in the Greek or in the Hebrew means the glory has departed John Wesley was asked many you know before he died back in the 1700s John Wesley the founder of the Methodist movement he was asked do you believe that the people called Methodists will uh, always continue he said I have no doubt that the people called Methodists will always be he said however in being they become a dead sect with the form of godliness but they deny the true power thereof we see some of that happening in our churches today. We see churches that once had, had anointings and the presence of God and convictions of the Holy Spirit. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Divine manifestations of God's power and its glory. If we're not careful, we'll just have the title. We'll simply have the form, but we'll lack the true impacting power of the Holy Spirit. And so I encourage you today, let me remind you, it's not all about you, but, but this does apply to you. So within the modern Pentecostal church, let me tell you what I believe we need to pick up. I talked about a drop baton, or I encourage the millennials to take the baton of genuine faith. I'm going to take a few minutes today to tell you what I believe is a baton that all of us almost exclusively in the Pentecostal church has dropped, and it's the baton of sanctification and holiness. 
sanctification and holiness. And even by virtue of not a single person said amen when I said that, that tells us that for the most part, you, we don't even know what I'm talking about. We have not indoctrinated ourselves in the Word of God to know of these historical doctrines and what that means to us. Let me give you a scripture that I'm going to read to you in a little bit greater detail later. But in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 7, it says this, God hath not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. Now, God is holy. We know that, right? He's separate from evil. He is anti everything that's corrupt and sensual and evil. But if God is holy, then his offspring ought to be holy. Let's go a little bit further. The word sanctification and holiness, both oftentimes in the translations of the original language, often it's the same Greek word. Not always, but often. To sanctify means to separate from from profane things and to dedicate it to God. Let me give you an example. In ancient Israel, when they had the tabernacle was first erected and they, and, they, and they needed instruments to serve the tabernacle, those instruments, once they had been consecrated to God, that in essence meant they were sanctified. Before, they were but common vessels. They could have been used for a co- any common purpose. But when God, through Moses, put the anointing oil on the vessel, then it was now consecrated to God. In like measure, we are consecrated vessels. I'm going to preach it whether y'all are with me or not because you need to hear it, okay? You need to hear this. You, you, we're, we've got a generation that doesn't understand what happened when God called them out of darkness and separated them into his kingdom, the kingdom of his dear son. Let's go further in defining sanctification or holiness. It's to separate from a profane things and dedicate to God. It's to cleanse by atonement internally and externally by renewing the soul. Our minds have to be renewed. You know, because the world is corrupt. I'm going to elaborate upon that in a moment of time. It means holiness in this then means to be clean, to be set apart, to have majestic moral purity. We're not, just, we're not in pursuit of just a secular morality. We're looking for a divine morality that flows forth from the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. We are not our own, let me remind you, but you were bought with the price. Christ purchased you at the cross. Therefore, Paul said you need to glorify God in your body, your soul, and your spirit. Every area of your life needs to conform to his will. Right? You need to keep your heart pliable before God at all times so that when the Holy Spirit works in your heart and reveals something to you, you're ready to embrace it because in Him you live and in Him you move and in Him you have your very being. Let's go a little bit further. To understand sanctification, you and I must understand to a degree what we are set apart from and then set apart to. Let me clarify. We are set apart from the world. Now, that's familiar language or lingo to many of us that have a historical root in the church. But if you're kind of new to Christianity, when you think about the world, you think about the earth. You don't really understand what we mean by when we use words like worldliness or worldly or of the world. I'm going to clarify very quickly today. Now, I'm going to just journey. They're going to post some scriptures on the screen. I'm just going to go the old-fashioned way, and I'm going to turn pages. 
Hello, somebody in the Bible. And I'm going to read and from 1 John chapter 2, verse number 15 through 17. In the New King James Version, let's read this together. He said, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. So John's using this as he writes to his listening audience, to a people that understand what he's writing about when he mentions the world. He said, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. The world's passing away. The things around us are crumbling. The things around us are ever-changing. But I'm going to tell you, God remains faithful. Right? His call on our life remains consistent. He who does the will of God will abide forever. Now we're going to back up to the gospel of John. We're going to read a complimentary three passage or four verses, or excuse me, four verses of Scripture. This from the teachings of Jesus. And it was from these teachings that inspired John to write in his epistle a little bit later. But I'm creating for you a little bit of clarification to the language that I often use when I say something like this. James 1 and 27, pure religion involves, it includes keeping yourself unspotted from the world. Let me add to that real quickly. In that passage in James, it tells us pure religion involves ministering to the widows, reaching out to the, uh, to the, to the, not, I, we've been so much with foster, the orphan children, reaching out to the orphan children, which many of you are doing, and God bless you for doing that, right? But also keeping yourself unspotted from the world. It's not enough to just be around, going around in good works, doing kind deeds, when the world is trying to pull you in to its system. Let's see what Jesus had to say here in John chapter number 17, verse number 15. He said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. So he's praying for you and I. And as he prayed for the disciples, he connected us to this prayer. He said, I don't pray, Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Because the evil one's always trying to seduce Right? The enemy is always trying to lure you astray. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Look at that. They are not of the world. He said, now, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them in the world. And we say this often in Christianity. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Right? We understand the distinction. He said, sanctify them by your truth, for your word is truth. Let's go a little bit further. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. The truth sets us apart for God's eternal purposes. Here Jesus prays for his disciples, and he says, God, I'm praying not that you take them out of the world, because if you take them out of the world there'll be no witness to anybody else that's lost god has an eternal purpose that he is manifesting through the church if god didn't have an eternal purpose for your life that he wants to live his his life shine his light through you god would have raptured you when you got saved but he left you here because there are others that are sitting in darkness they're bound to sin. They're bound to the lust of the world, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And they need a bright light to shine in and expose, come on, somebody, the trap that they're caught in, but that Christ came to set them free. Glory to God. 
Now let's go a little bit further. So let me define for you. Well, then, Pastor, what is the world? In this context, it's civilization. Let's go further. It's mankind. It's the world's system. It includes governments, economies, and entertainment. It's the way unregenerate man lives and thinks. It's his habits, his practices, his cultural trends. It's carnal living and carnal thinking. The influences of society, secular, secularism, and pagan religion. So you and I, we are in the world, but we are not of this world. Right? We are strangers and pilgrims. The old song said, I'm just a passing through. Come on, heaven is our home, right? But we're going to be a bright and shining light until God calls us to go into his eternal kingdom. We have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I'm just getting started. We have been redeemed from sin. Come on, I'm not bound to sin. Read the book of Romans, chapter number 6. The sin nature that, that produced the desire to sin in you. And the desire to sin can still be contained in your fleshly carnal appetites even as a believer. But sin does not have dominion over you because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead will quicken your mortal body. You can serve God. You don't have to follow the flesh. You don't have to follow the carnal appetites. You don't have to run astray every other week and then come running back to God in repentance. You can get on a course that follows the Spirit of God. You can be holy in this present world. Because why? Because you're called out, sanctified unto God. Let me show you again in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 2. I told you it's going to be a little bit of teaching. It's going to be a little bit of preaching. It's going to be quite a bit of reading, but that's all right. You came to hear the Word of God. Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 1 through 4. This is a word Paul spoke to the church at Ephesus, but it's to the church in general. It's to you and I. It's here. It's alive today. It's just as relevant as when it flowed off of his pen. And you, this is who we are, and you, he has made us alive. I don't know about you, I'm alive under God. I feel life in my spirit. You know, the outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. Come on, on the outside, we succumb to Adam's transgression, and the flesh decays and dies, and the body withers, and the back gets bowed over, and wrinkles appear on our face. But on the inside, we're just as young. Come on, somebody. There's strength. There's grace. So while the outward man is perishing, the inward man is getting stronger day by day. Come on, the Holy Spirit is at work inside of us. And so we're alive to God. We were dead in trespasses. We were dead in our sins, but no longer. Listen, one resurrection's already taken place. A resurrection in my spirit. I was dead. I was in trespasses, but now I'm alive to God. That's what Paul is saying. He said, and once, look at this, you walked according to, there it is, the course of this world. Often we say it in the church, the world's system. Paul said the course of this world, the path that the people of this world walk in, they're being led by the prince of the power of the air. How many of you believe in demonic spirits? You may not know much about them. You may not know much about the devil's kingdom. You may not know much about principalities and powers, but you'd readily acknowledge that there is a devil, right? And there's influences in this earth outside of the kingdom of God. 
Paul here says that when you were unsaved, that you were following in that course. You didn't even know it. You were pawns in the hand of demonic spirits, and you didn't even know it. You were just following the course that had been set for you. That prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves. We all used to live ignorantly. That's why we don't need to be judging others. Come on, somebody. You missed a great place to say amen right there because we all had sinned and gone astray, right, and needed the, re- re- the forgiveness that we have in Christ. But look at this. We were in the lust of our flesh. Paul doesn't say they are in the... He's saying we were once just like them. We were once walking according to this. We were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. It was all about us. If it felt good, tasted good, if it, was, if it could in any way appease to our flesh or fleshly appetites, that's what we wanted. We didn't care who it hurt. As long as we were like an addict, we just wanted it to satisfy and gratify our own carnal desires. And so we were by nature children of wrath just as others. But look at this, but God. Hallelujah, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love whereby he loved us. God called us out of this darkness and translated us into God's eternal kingdom. Now, let me tell you today, at one time, many in the church recognized more fully the corruption of this world system. We recognized, we talked more openly about it, and therefore we purposely made lifestyle changes. Uh-oh, it's getting real quiet in here. That created some measure of differentiation. How do you say that? Did I say it right? Close enough. I might have stuttered on it a little bit. But there was a distinction. We recognized that we were distinct from the world. And we altered the course of our life. I say this respectfully so that we purposely could be distinguished from the world. We don't talk about that today. The reality is a generation that came behind us reached out and attempted to put the baton of sanctification in our hands, and we dropped it. And we dropped it, and we're running our race. Many of us are running our race, and we've not laid aside the sin that so easily besets us. And we've not caught hold of this baton of sanctification. So let me read you another passage. First Peter chapter 1. Let's just journey a little bit because I want, you to, I want this to be etched in your spirit. Because this is not just to you. This is to me. I'm looking in my own mirror as I'm preaching this. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you are to be holy in all your conduct. God's put an expectation of a lifestyle change that would evolve from your conversion. That once you were converted and saved and born again, you wouldn't live life like the way that you used to live life. The world doesn't know how to live. They think partying and going to all that adultery and fornication and all that. I use King James English lasciviousness, which is excesses of riding and parties and all that. They think that's cool. And they think you're nerdy because you come to church. But I don't know about you. I didn't get up with a hangover this morning. I'm telling you what, I'm not struggling with the effects of, I'm telling you because he set me free. 
right? I've got love and joy and relationships, and there's not bitterness in my home, and there's not backbiting and fighting, and I'm not going home and kicking the dog and hitting my wife and doing it. No, going home in love and grace. The world thinks they got it all figured out. Come on, we can be like Norm at Cheers, sitting on her bar stool and don't want to go home and, and, and see Vera. No, let me tell you, I ain't playing that game. I've been delivered from that world. I got a whole new way of living by the grace of God. It's the grace of God. And my Father is holy, and he desires for me to be holy. Verse number 16, as God is holy, so are you. He's undefiled. He's set apart from sin, corruption, and lust. And he's exhorting you. Now, listen, I know of the doctrine of righteousness. I can't preach that today. I know that there's two parts of sanctification. There's instantaneously that when you turn your heart to Christ, you are considered holy before God. But I also know that there is a progressive sanctification that begins immediately, whereby as you walk in the light, as he is in the light, and he reveals to you, you alter your life. You can call it maturation. You can call it progressive sanctification. You can call it uh, whatever you need to call it, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life as you walk in the light as he is in the light. Now, let me say this to you. Sanctification slash holiness, this was a prominent doctrine in Pentecostalism. Prior to, many of you don't even know the history of Pentecostalism. You're a part of a Pentecostal church. Pentecostal means we embrace the work of the Holy Spirit. It means we believe the gifts of the Spirit did not pass away with the death of the last apostles as some other, uh, you know, de denominations teach. But, but we believe that God still moves. Come on, by His Holy Spirit. Pentecostalism was birthed out of what was called the holiness movement. It was a renewed work of the Holy Spirit in the church in the late 1800s where men and women began to realize that they needed to be set apart from that which is evil. Let me go a little bit further and share with you a little about concerning this. Unfortunately, this prominent doctrine in Pentecostalism was often misinterpreted, misapplied. Standards of conduct and lifestyle choices began to be determined by church constitution and bylaws. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? This often resulted, listen, two ways. Number one, in a failure to comply with the requirements by some. Some folk could just never measure up. And they always felt condemned. Some folks made it their job to be the personal judge. And so, therefore, brought condemnation upon others. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I'm telling the truth in here today. But let me say this. So, so what we began to do in the evolution of the Pentecostal church, we, be, <clears throat> we began to deem any teaching related to sanctification that affects lifestyle choices or issues of conscience as legalism. Hmm? So, listen, in doing so, listen to this. In doing so, we have created a greater error than the previous generations. 
The previous generation taught sanctification, the need to be set apart and distinct from that which is evil and being called out of the world to the degree it was misapplied until it was uh, applied to our constitutions and our bylaws and it brought condemnation on many and others found themselves as the, as the spiritual police and they went around judging everybody and that created great error. So the next generation, rather than to see that happen again, began to distance themselves from that type of teaching uh, uh, as legalism, defining that as legalism. But while in doing so, here's what we've done. We've created a greater error than that previous generation because here's what like, previously we preached everything in the world and that was related to conscious as sin. Now in this generation, we ascribe almost nothing as sin. Do y'all have, what are those little things on your phone? Those little, uh, when you, when you get ready to type a message and then you can put little characters, what are they called? Have you ever seen the one with the little monkey and he's... That's what's happened in the church. We, we, we saw what was misapplied and we swung the pendulum to the other side so far until now everything goes. Every, there's no conviction are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? I understand the doctrine of sin. I've studied it out. I know that there are some things if you, that, that may be sin to you that may not be sin to me or may be sin to me and may not be sin to you. I understand the doctrine of conscience. I'm going to talk a little bit about it tonight. But let me tell you, in our generation, we're afraid to offend. Are y'all hearing me today? Or we're also afraid to return to the so-called legalism. And you know what? In order for us to reach back and take this drop baton of sanctification, we've got some church-imposed barriers that we're going to have to overcome. Let me just list some of these for you today. That's good preaching in here today. Amen? Let's talk about it for a moment. Let me, just talk, let me throw these out at you. In order for us to reach back, then you say, Pastor, what, what happens in the absence of sanctification? We lose our ability to influence. Because the world, if, if we're the same mess as the world then they're going to look at our lives and say, I don't need what you got because you know better off than I am, right? And so we've lost our ability to speak about a different way, a way of life that produces grace and goodness, things that people would value. That's what's at stake. And so the church, not the world, the world's not imposed these things upon us that we're going to have to overcome in order to reach back and take the baton of sanctification that we have dropped. And yes, we've dropped it. First Assemblies dropped it, right? The generation of our culture has dropped it in the church. Here's what we're going to have to overcome. Number one, don't judge me. That's everybody. Anytime you start addressing these things, don't judge me. Don't be judging my life. Number two, God loves me just as I am. Just I just come to God. Doesn't matter what my lifestyle's like. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. God loves you, and he delivered you from that, from that mess, and if you read his word, he said, I'm holy. And if I've saved you, then I want you to be holy. Let's go further. I, number three, these are, these, are, these are just barriers that we're going to have to overcome. I'm sure this won't send me to hell. Come on, that's, 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 I'm, I'm talking about ideologies in our mind, strongholds in our mind. This trap that people excuse their behavior. Are y'all hearing me? With these self-justifications. Uh, that they are maybe not necessarily biblical. Number four, this one is the this one. This is the coverall. 
we're not under the law. So that would be legalism. So, so pastor, don't bring that in here. Number five, my conscience is not bothered. So it's your problem, not mine. Lastly, pastor, this is trivial. We need to be reaching souls. Those are barriers that the world's not put on us. We put them on ourselves. We put them in our path in front of us. And they will trip us up in our pursuit of sanctification and a pursuit after God. Let me tell you real quickly. People that are being saved, what I mean by that is the Holy Spirit is convicting them. And they're being drawn to look at the church and to, and to look at Christ. They're not bothered by true sanctification. They expect the church to be different. They expect the church to be set apart. They just want to see authentic faith and not hypocrisy. That's what, that, that's what they're looking for. So in closing today, let me just throw this out at you today. I got a little bit of time. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I thought I heard somebody's phone ding and they were telling me it was 12 o'clock. Now I got a little bit of time. Number two things I'm going to leave you in closing today. You are called to sanctification. I want you to see this. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4. Let's read this today. 1 Thessalonians 4, and we're going, to, we're going to read a couple more passages in closing, but y'all stay with me. When I mean closing, I don't mean in three minutes. So hold on, hold on, hold what you got. That's what I said, hold what you got for just a moment. 1 Thessalonians 4, I want, I, this is a pastor's heart to yours today with a little prophetical application. God's desires to have a church that's holy, set apart, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, pastor, I don't want those holiness standards that we used to see in the church. You don't want the miracles either, I suppose, because they, 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 they function at a level of the power of God. And maybe we've grieved the Holy Spirit by our, are y'all hearing what I'm saying, our sensual living. Maybe we've sold out something. We've made an exchange. Maybe we are uh, like Esau. Maybe we have sold some measure of our birthright for a little bowl of soup somewhere along the line. And, and, and it, I'm telling you, we need to, I'm not saying we got to go back and follow the exact practices of previous generations, but I'm telling you, we better, we better stop and look at their motive for just a moment. Maybe we ought to say, but why did they do what they did? What was work? What was, what was, what were they being compelled by? Did they just want to not go to the movies? Or did they, or in, in that sense, you, you know, you remember all the things that used to be applied and to church constitutions, and, and, and we see all of that, and we say, well, that's all legalism, and, and I'm under grace, and I can do all those things. Yeah, listen, I'm, not, I'm not here to argue that point. I'm saying, look at their motive. The motive was that they just wanted to be pure before God. They wanted their minds stayed upon the Lord. They didn't want to fill their hearts and their minds with sensual things. I'm preaching a lot better than y'all shouting, but I'm going to preach it anyhow. 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord. We urge and exhort you in the Lord that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. It ought to be in the desire of every believer to say, God, show me how I ought to walk. Show me. Let the Spirit of God Help me to know what I can do or what I should do and what I shouldn't do, where I should go and where I shouldn't go. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. This is the will of God for your life. This is your call to sanctification. You're called to walk different. You're called to be different. You're called to act different. Let's go further. This is the will of God. You need to abstain from sexual immorality. 
Paul wrote this at a time when sexuality was open, openly practiced, and it's, it's recurred in our generation. But I'm telling you, you can be different. You can live different. Look, let's go further. Each of you, each of you, that's why it's the wheel within the wheel. I'm preaching to the church's whole, but you've got to find this for yourself. Look what he said, that each one of you should know how you should possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. So don't tell me this is not the will of God for your life. If you believe the Bible, this is, this is, not, this is just one of many passages of Scripture where the authors are saying, we don't need to look at the fifth verse. Don't live your life in passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother and these things. The Lord is the avenger of all such. God did not call you to uncleanness, but to holiness. What are you called to do? You're called to be holy, to be separate. Let me validate it a little bit further as I close here today, as I drop these things in your spirit. That as the church, we evolved from God's covenant with ancient Israel. Now, even unregenerate people, when they think about Israel, say, well, that's the people of God. They were called out, called to be different. Well, listen to what Peter said. You are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's own special people. You're his special people. Listen, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As ancient Israel was called out by God and chosen to be distinctly different, so are you. Let me go a little bit further. Deuteronomy 7, God spoke to Israel. He said, the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Therefore, keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments. I've got to hurry. I may omit this one passage of Scripture, but as I do so, I want you to catch this. I've shared this on numerous occasions, but I've got to just drop this in your heart today. Think about ancient Israel. In the book of Leviticus, you say, oh, my God. Pastor, tell me you don't read the book. Yes, it's filled with life because God's Word is living. In the book of Leviticus... Chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. I'm not going to read it for the sake of time. But God said this to Israel. And you've heard me say this before. Let me remind you of it today. I feel a compulsion in my heart to challenge our, our church family. This baton's been dropped. Somebody needs to pick it up again. Somebody needs to pick it up again and run our race to the fullest. I, know, I don't know about you. I'm 48 years old. And I've, I've thought this to myself in my own, in my private devotions. I said, God... I, I don't, I don't want to fizzle out as I age. I don't want to lose my passion for Jesus. I don't want to lose that distinction. I want, I, want to, I want to have a greater desire. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? As I age, that I can run this race to the very fullest. Well, in Leviticus 18, God told ancient Israel, he said, I'm about to send you into the land of Canaan. Y'all remember that? He said, but now listen, let me tell you two things. He said, don't live like the Egyptians from the land that you just came out of. All their practices that you observed for 400 years, you're going to be different. And then he said, but where I'm about to take you, there's a whole different people group. Canaanites don't live like them either. So Israel was called out. How were they to live? They were to live according to the word of God. 
Moses went up on Mount Sinai and God gave him the law of commandments and he came down and he brought with him the word of God. The tenor of these words were akin to the, the Ten Commandments and they were in harmony one with the other and it was precepts and principles and it set the nation apart. They talked different. They acted different. They had a different diet, a different lifestyle. They raised their children differently. They related to their spouses differently. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? God conformed. God gave them a word to, that they needed to conform their lives to. And thus it is within the body of Christ that we are the people that God has called to be distinct and separate. Did you know ancient Israel was called a light to lighten the Gentiles? Mean, let me say this. God intended for Israel's influence to be so great, the other nations could look and say, my God, I've been worshiping this stupid statue that couldn't deliver me from sin, couldn't heal my heart, couldn't set me free from my past. Come on, left me in bondage, doing all kinds of crazy things. Follow, and it, God had chose the nation of Israel to be this bright light that shone and pointed people to the one true God. But they dropped the baton. What, did you know this? Isaiah 49, I believe the sixth verse says, God's called Israel to be a light to the nations. What people don't realize when they read Jesus' teaching, when he later said, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. We always ascribe that to the church. He was speaking to Israel. He said, you are the city set on a hill that cannot be hid, but you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, what value does it have? So then now it is passed to us because Israel failed. They failed to, they, they failed to be that consistent light. And I'm afraid the crisis that could be looming in front of us is that we've lost our ability to influence any longer because we look like, act like, and talk like the world, and there's very little distinction. I don't know about you. I feel the voice of the Holy Spirit calling me out, calling me to live differently. And I'm closing with this final passage of Scripture. Turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We're going to glean it in closing today. The fourth chapter you've... You know many of you that have been here consistently over the latter few years that we've read this passage on at least two separate occasions. We may have to glean it for the sake of time, but let's just read it and let it be its final exclamation point to us here today. A final exclamation to the word that God put in my heart as I spent time in prayer thinking about our church, thinking about my life, thinking about the church as a whole, searching for the will within the will, searching for where does this apply to me? How is God speaking this to my life? How's this speaking to our church staff? How's this speaking to my family? How's this, what's God saying to our church? And I believe God is calling somebody to go back and pick the baton up. Go back and pick it up and say, God, you know what? I'm, I'm not afraid. We sang a song about it a, go, a moment ago. I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to say that I alter my lifestyle for the sake of my convictions. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say there are things I don't watch or places I don't go or people that I'm not going to connect with because of my convictions. Doesn't matter how much ridicule comes our way. Right? Because I trust that God has called me out. And that light is a witness 
It's a witness to the world that they need Jesus to do something in their heart and life. Let's close. Paul addressed it. Paul was not afraid. I'm telling you, Paul would, be, Paul would not preach, would not be asked to preach in many of the contemporary churches of our generation because people, oh, no, Pastor, you can't be preaching. Paul, you can't be preaching that. People don't want to hear that. You can't, you got, we, got mixed, we can't do that. That's, that's, that's old school. Paul wouldn't receive the invitation because he'd be too direct. He'd cut right to the chase. Let's see what he said. Let's, can we read this together in closing? You got your Bible? Right there, it's going to be on the screen for those of you who didn't bring it. I've got mine in my hand. I'm going to read it. This I say, I testify on the Lord. You should no longer walk like the rest of the Gentiles. Paul's unashamed. You need to act different. Hello? Come on. Is that true? Am I, I mean, did I make it up? I'm looking for where it says L-A-B version. Is that what it says? L-A-B version. It doesn't say that, does it? Right? I didn't write it. I'm just reporting it. Right? Let's read it a little further. Having their understanding darkened, they're alienated from the life of God. The ignorance is in them. In past times, they've given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. That's not how Christ is. Christ is different, right? And so are you. If indeed you've heard him and you've been, if you've really heard about Jesus and you've been born again, you ought not be offended when somebody in love speaks the word of God to you and the Holy Spirit begins to bring lifestyle changes and the power of conviction to your life. You ought not to be offended. You ought to say, Father, here I am. I present myself unto you a living sacrifice. Mold me and shape me, O God. We used to sing the song, mold me and shape me. Have thine own way, O Lord. Let's go a little bit further. If you've heard of him, put off the old man. It's about a change. I'm not talking about your husband. Ladies, come on. Put off the old man. That's you. That's your old self. He grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. And you've got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's what you're doing here today. Whether you knew it or not, you're being renewed in your mind. The Holy Spirit is going to take these words. And this week, you're going to be thinking and pondering, and the Holy Spirit's going to be quickening these words. And you're going to remember the things that have been spoken in here. Put on the new man in righteousness and holiness. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But it says in the 25th verse, put away lying. Don't be angry and sin. I'm just skimming real quickly because I want to get to the fifth chapter. If you stole, stop stealing. Well, let's just, uh, uh, let me just go a little further. Let's put it in our, let's, uh, he says, no corrupt communication, edification, do that which is good. He said, put away evil, pick up that which is good. Let me translate it, modern generation. If you're, if you're, if you're bound to drugs, stop. Well, I can't, yes, you can. Don't tell us you can't. There are people in this room that have been bound by addictions and the Spirit of God came into their life and now they're free. The Son of Man has set them free. So you're in the wrong place to tell us that you can't be made free. Because too many testimonies around here of people that used to put it in here and sniff it up here, and now they yield that same vessel as an instrument of righteousness unto God, glory to God. So don't bring that up in here. Listen, let me, let me write it. Let me just translate it for you. If you're, if you're looking at pornographic images, stop. Make a covenant with your eyes. One old song from the 80s was this. It was that, for your eyes only. I let God write that theme on the tablet of my heart so that I would have eyes for one woman, my wife. 
And I pray prayers, Father, let my eyes, let my thoughts, let my imaginations, my sensual desires be found only in my spouse. You need to make a covenant, sir, with your eyes. Man, I'm preaching better than y'all shouting, but I'm telling the truth. I've been told that 70% of Christian men are bound by pornography at some level. Enough is enough. It's time to come out and be distinct and be different and live life holy before God and be made different before the Lord. Let's jump all the way down into this fifth chapter. Let's go a little bit further. In the second, third verse, fornication. Oh, what does that mean, Pastor? I don't even know what fornication means. It means if you are sleeping in a sexual relationship with someone who is not your spouse, then you need to change, come on, your, uh, your habit or your practice. You need a, a ring. Matrimony. Right? We're the, we're the test the waters first generation. We're the live together first generation. I'm telling the truth, but it's not just in the world. See, I know the world's doing it, but folks in the church are doing it equally as much as folks that are in the world. Paul is telling us, be different. So Paul used this word fornication, porneo in the Greek, sexual immorality, if he was here today in our generation, he might look to the millennials and say, hey, stop shacking up together. Amen. But not just the millennials. Generation X, baby boomers, and God forbid, the silent generation. Oh, Lord Jesus. Let me move on a little bit further. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. That means if you're cussing, acting a fool, telling dirty jokes, it's time to stop. Well, pastor, I just, I've always taught, no, don't make excuses. By your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. The same mouth that you used to talk all that foolishness, now you can speak life over somebody. And he goes on in this passage, let's kind of glean through the eighth and verse forward and just wrap it up. You were once darkness. Why am I preaching it to you this way? I want you to see yourself the way God sees you. That's what being called out is. When you recognize you were snatched out of darkness and been placed in God's eternal kingdom. Look at that. The fruit of the Spirit is good. This is what the world needs to see in you. They don't need to see you. See, we are so trapped into this. Well, I, I want to reach them, so I want to be like them. Hello? Listen, I don't have to go do crystal meth to point somebody bound to crystal meth to a deliverer. I don't have to do the foolish things of the world to try to pull them out. Come on, I can throw the life, uh, what is it, not raft, uh, the life preserver from the safety of the boat so that I can pull them. Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. Let's go a little further. Well, this is the closing. You got to find out, 10th verse. You got to find out what is acceptable unto the Lord. That's the maturation, that's the growth. The air that the church and us pastors, we failed to keep you in an environment where God would speak to you through His Word. We failed to keep challenging you to grow in grace and grow in godliness. So we just act a fool like everybody else. Only thing is now we think we got the get out of hell free card. Have no fellowship. Is that what your Bible says? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, 
but rather expose them. Isn't that the job of the church? That through the light of God's grace shining through us, it exposes to the world. So then they can find their way out of darkness too. Isn't that our objective through this whole thing? Therefore, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. You need to redeem the time because the days are evil. Let's close. It's 12 o'clock. Lifestyle change. Lifestyle change begins, begins when you understand you are called to sanctification. Do you understand that call? Do you understand that call today, church family? I'm, I'm speaking to you today in love, in grace. We are on the edge of crisis in the contemporary church because there is a very little distinction between us and the world. I know, I know some of you already, I've hit 12 and you've already started to shut me down. But you can't shut the Holy Spirit down in this moment. Because he's right, he's reaching for you. He's calling you. He's wooing you. He said, Pastor, I'm already saved. Come out of that carnal lifestyle. Right, come out. God's calling you today. A revelation of being called to sanctification and walking in the light as he in the light, as he is in the light, this will help divert the crisis. But you as an individual must recognize your calling. You are called to holiness. You don't just do it because, well, Pastor Brown preached about it, and so now I can't listen to that on the radio. Or I can't watch that television because Pastor Brown will be judging me. If that's the way you think, you miss the whole thing. You miss the whole thing here today. But when you say, Father, thank you for your great grace that you love me enough to deliver me from darkness. God, I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Father, I surrender myself to you. Would y'all stand with me today? Come on, I want y'all to think this way with me right now. This is what uh, uh, receiving the call. How many of you was in the military, like Pastor Brown? Raise your hand. Let me see your hand. Come on, don't be ashamed. Look at these veterans. Thank you. God bless you, men and women. You remember, guys? You remember what happened, guys and gals? Do you remember? You signed up. And you went down and you raised your hand because you knew you were being separated. Mama couldn't go with you. Spouse couldn't go with you. But you were being called to defend this nation. And then they took you to boot camp and you went through a process of changing your, uh, your habits and your practices all the way down to even your personal hygiene. They shaved all of our hair off for multiple reasons. And they taught us a different way. In the church, we have lost that distinction. I feel the Holy Spirit calling First Assembly. Not to a return to the practices of legalism that the church fell prey to, but the call should still be present.
the call. You're called, aren't we? We're called to holiness. We're called to holiness. Now, here's what I want to ask you to do. This is on a Sunday morning. Everybody's about to go that way. But for two minutes, do something with me. Everybody come forward. That says, Pastor, I will respond to the call. That's all I'm asking. I won't come down, and I'm not going to spend hours praying for you. That's not what this moment is about. Listen, it's a call to holiness. Would you all hear me today? Daryl, you join me and play for just a minute here if you would. It's a call to holiness. It's a call. It's a call to lifestyle change. It's a call that will affect every area of your life. Is that true? It affects every area of your life. It affects your character. Would y'all listen? Are y'all listening right now? That's what this call does. It affects your character. We read a lot of text about character. It affects your conduct. It affects your relationships. Doesn't it? Are y'all hearing me today, church family? Would y'all listen? It affects your entertainment choices. And this is the one that, this is the carrot that the enemy has kept in front of us in the American church. We just, we'll gobble it down. Whatever comes through Hollywood, we just gobble it down. We're going to have to start guarding ourselves a little more closely. No, 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 a lot more closely. Our entertainment choices, our attire. I know y'all shot me down on that one, but our speech, what we listen to and what we watch on television. These are simple things, but this is the truth. Paul defined some of these things for the people of his generation. I'm just wanting you to hear this today. You are called by God to sanctification. And if we're not careful, we're going to be running this race. And we're going to get right out of our lane and get right over into the world until there's no distinction between us and the world. The world needs you to be strong in the Lord. And living a holy, godly life so that you can say, man, come out of that mess. I used to be in it. I used to be in it. Come, That's what you can say. I used to be in it. I had no peace. I had no nothing. But I found Jesus. Jesus found me. Changed everything. That's the call. By coming forward in your own way, you're saying, God, I accept some measure of this call. That's between you and the Father. I can't dictate it for you. That's what the church failed in days gone by. We try to dictate the level for you. I can't. I just got to keep it in front of you. Let's pray. Father, we're humbled today. We see this in the Word of God. Now, this, this church family believes. They believe in the pastoral gift that you put on my life, Father. And I, and I, don't mean, I hate to even mention myself in a sermon or in a prayer. But, God, they believe that you can speak through me to them. And I believe that the overwhelming majority under the sound of my voice hear your voice through my voice today. They're weeding out and they're filtering the things that are just...